to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring female thriller writers and conversation about female characters who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Wendy Hurd. Kristen LaPianca and Lane Fargo are gallivanting away together at BoucherCon, like bitches without me in Dallas. Um, and I am here about to have the time of my life without them interviewing <laughs> interviewing none other than Imogen Church. Say hello, Imogen. Hi. I'm really excited about this. Uh, for those of you who don't know Imogen Church immediately, you will when I tell you who she is. She is the audio narrator of some of our very favorite British crime fiction. She narrates the Ruth Ware books, like The Women, Woman in Cabin 10, The Death of Mrs. Westaway, The Turn of the Key. She did Into the Water by Paula Hawkins, which was really interesting. Uh, she did Bridget Jones's Diary. <laughs> the classic um, thriller. The classic and <laughs> the lesser known Pleasure Quartet series. <laughs> Which we are going to talk about. <laughs> so, uh, she trained at the Drama Center in London. She has lived in Los Angeles. Uh, and I am just very excited to talk to you. Uh, online, you talk a lot about feminism, sex, and body positivity. And I wrote down here, you are in general colorful, interesting, hilarious, and bold. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Good intro. Thank you so much for coming on. That's all right. Thanks for having me. And you don't live in the United States. I do not. I did for a while. I did not fit in. Why not? I left. I think you fit right into LA. (laughs) Well, maybe you're kind of LA, but the actory LA is just... I mean, almost as soon as I arrived, it was like, bleach your teeth. Uh, oh lose some weight, lie about your age. And for me, I, I don't know, I thought maybe it would get me excited and kind of pumped, but actually it just made me go, oh, fuck Well, off. sometimes it gives people eating disorders, which is fun. Oh, my God. Sometimes, I, I suspect a lot of times. Sometimes it gives them Scientology. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. I actually knew someone who got locked in the Scientology basement for, like, <gasps> months. What? Yes. Yes. Well, it's LA. I grew up in LA. You know all kinds of people who have been like that in Scientology rehab. Yes. I went when I when I first moved to LA. I was waiting for a friend, and saw what I thought would be an amazing museum called the Museum of Psychiatry and Death, or whatever oh. it was. And I went, oh, brilliant! A really macabre Gothic museum. I'ma go in. So I went in. I had no idea. I had a chat and they were like, okay, give us your name and address and phone number. And I was like, well, I might withhold some of that. And then right before they open the door and like lock you into the museum, they say, oh, and by the way, we're sponsored by the Church of Scientology. Bye. And then they lock you in a padded room. (laughs) At which point I thought, oh, this is it. This is how they get you. They release the gas. Scary. It was insane. And it took... It took so long to get around, and it was just so full of lies. I mean, I've done a, a academic study on uh, kind of mental illness, specifically in children's books, but I had to research an awful lot of history of psychiatry and, and mental ill health as part of that, and just lies, just lies. The things they believe are so strange. 
Yeah. It can't be real. You think this can't be real. <laughs> I know. But the, but I suppose LA has that aspect to it. And again, probably not your LA. I suspect you know all the kind of people that I wish I could have met when I was in LA. But the people in the who were really kind of sunk into the actory side of LA... My overwhelming feeling from the actory part of LA was that it was like a really shiny, well-dressed brothel. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And there were sharks everywhere. But at least, you know, in London or I'm guessing downtown LA, you can see the sharks. But in actory LA, the sharks are, you know, wearing million dollar suits and really well kempt um, and look sane. But they're not. Yeah. But you don't live do you you don't live in London, do no, you? No, I, I used okay. to. I lived in London for ten years. Okay. And when I was tired of that, that's when I went to LA. And then when I was tired of that, I came back to where I grew up, which is Norfolk, which okay. is only about two hours out of London. So it's not far. And then of course I, as soon as I did that I started getting loads of work in London. Oh my god, of course. <laughs> Is that where you record, is in London, when you record your books? Yeah, a lot of stuff is in London. Um, Audible Studios themselves are in London, so there's lots of stuff there. Um, I used to do more in London until I kind of set up stuff from home, which helped me because I have kids. Um, So now I try and do quite a lot from home as well. And I do stuff direct for the States, so obviously all of that's from home. So yeah, it's varied. You are so incredibly talented. I mean, it's just it's just incredible. I mean, I, I think we became friends because I wouldn't leave you alone because I've, I've had this thing for a while where I love audiobooks. I really do love them. I think because I read so much for writing that it's so nice to not to rest my eyes. To be and read to too. Yes. Well, weirdly, so, I just, I mean, I grew up on audiobooks, which is why when I kind of realized, oh, wow, it, it, I could do this, you know, all the time. I was so excited, but I'd lost it really because I read so much as well. Mm-hmm. And then about ugh, Audible, those cheeky, cheeky people kept get, kept giving me free credits. And I'd be like, oh, okay, yes. well, it's free, so I'm going to get some books. And I got so hooked, I joined <laughs> So now I'm in there too. I am absolutely addicted. But I'm that's listening an all the time. Thing. What kind of audiobooks do you like to listen to? Uh-huh. Well, I am really hooked on anything written by John Ronson. Okay. Loving the kind of investigative journalist yeah. with a satirical sardonic edge. But uh-huh. I'm also I've just downloaded um Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Mm-hmm. which is, I don't know if you know that, it was huge over here. It's a sprawling, epic 19th century fantasy about magicians and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's very gothic. Um, but from from my point of view, the about 50% of it is the narrator because I couldn't commit to that many hours, especially doing what I do if I didn't like the narrator, which is why I the, feel the, the same samples way. are so important. Yeah. Yes. And then like, I feel like you bring so much emotion to the books that actually makes for a richer experience than it would have been just reading them. Well, I mean, I know I do because I get really, I get really involved and really upset at certain points and really 
I feel it through my whole body. But what I don't know is if other narrators do that too. I don't know because I'm quite new to listening to modern audiobooks. I don't know if I'm just in my own weird little world. I don't know, but I get so involved. You know, I oh, I think if the producer, if I'm in studio and a producer kind of comes into my ear and stops me, I mean, I have a mini coronary. I get, I go, oh, God, I forgot you that. <laughs> oh, Jesus, don't scare me. That's how into it I get. And so, there's something yeah. about hearing it read that, like, I remember when I heard my own first book read, Hunting Annabelle, I, it wasn't until I heard the narrator read it that I was like, this book is scary. Like, this is scary. I didn't That's know so that my nice. book was scary until he read it because it's my book and I didn't think anything of it, but it's like, I don't feel scared reading it, but when he would read it in his like dark, deep, masculine voice, I was like, oh God, Wendy, (gasps) what did you do? (laughs) This is really upsetting. (laughs) Two things. First of all, for us narrators, it's terrifying to potentially let you writers down. So that is scary. So it's lovely. I mean, were you scared? Not story scared, but scared that it would let you down before you listened to it? You know, it's funny. I was until I got to pick the narrator, but the second mm. I got to pick Tim for it, I was like, I'm not worried. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I just can't wait to hear him do it because yeah. I just knew I had seen his reel and he was able to do really edgy characters in film. And so I was like, he's going to be great. Yeah. So, but yes, I was scared until I knew who it was. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the other thing I wanted to say about that was when I did the latest Ruth Ware, The Turn of the Key. Yeah kind of what you're saying about hunting Annabelle I felt like it was when you're doing something that's horror or thriller I feel like it's almost a whole separate art form because (laughs) I've had so many messages from people who listen to the turn of the key and I scared the shit out of them and I love it but how how exciting is that to not only get to read to people but to create this kind of soundscape where where they're actually physically scared. I just think that's amazing. So I have a theory about this. Tell me if you agree. But in thriller and anything where we've ramped up to a climax or to to climactic scenes, we read those scenes with our eyes very quickly because we want to know what's going to (gasps) happen. And so we tend to skim them. And in a way, we uh, sort of like fast forward them visually. Whereas when someone is reading it to you, you cannot escape you can't speed it up you're stuck in it and it makes it more scary wendy heard thriller author i think that you have hit the nail on the head do you think so i think that is absolutely true because you're right when i'm getting to a really exciting part of a book when i'm eye reading i will i will probably i mean i'm reading it but it's almost a skim because i'm so excited and so involved that i just want to and you're right and yet when I'm narrating it well Tim's narrating it we're torturing you yeah I'm <laughs> making you wait that's um yeah so I I have a question for you this is one yes. thing I wanted to ask you about so you read you read British crime thrillers obviously mm-hmm. but I know that you also narrate UK releases of American crime thrillers and I'm just curious if you have like any observations of trends that are different in British and American crime? Or is there anything you see different between the, especially like as it relates to women, but in anything uh, between British and American crime fiction? That's an interesting question for me, because to be honest, I'm not always 
entirely sure what's going out where. So, I mean, obviously the stuff I do direct for companies in the States, I know are then going to be released in the States, but there'll be some stuff that I've done here that's for the States that I haven't necessarily known about. I just get, I might just get contacted by the studio. They say, do you want to do this? And I say, yes. Um, And because companies have different branches, well, for example, one of the books that I did for the States, Good Me, Bad Me, Yeah, she's a UK author. Yeah. Um, I was just doing the American release of it. Someone else read the UK one because the rights were bought by two different publishers in the two different places. So it's hard for me off the top of my head to say, oh, that one's clearly American and that one's clearly Mm. British. But I would say that this year's trend in stuff that I've definitely done for British audiences has been an excess of paedophilia and rape. Yikes. <laughs> which, which, is, which has made me start to question whether or not when a, specifically for a narrator being offered a job, whether or not there should be trigger warnings. Because, not because I would say no, because I have read some filthy shit in my time. But it's about being in the right headspace. Bearing in mind what you said earlier about me kind of getting so emotionally involved. Yeah. When you're having to narrate the part, first person, of somebody being raped or worse, somebody, a child, being gang raped by a paedophile ring, I just need to to know I might not be in the right place in my life to be able to to cope with that that is different to me just reading it you know as a piece of text having to bring it to life and embody it is oh it's different (laughs) yeah I I was thinking about that because I do remember when I was uh looking when we were looking for the audio narrator for my second book which has like domestic violence in it Mm. And I remember telling them, like, make sure the narrator uh, knows that there are a couple scenes where there's some domestic violence, because I know that could be really Mm. hard for people. Mm. Um, And I was thinking about that when you said that right now. I was like, yeah, don't people think about the fact that there's a human sort of having to really be in this world for like a long time? Some publishers do. I did a a book. I think it's out now, so I can talk about it. Um, Yeah. A book about a roman slave female roman slave and it charts her life and as you can imagine obviously it's very factually accurate there's some tough stuff in there and that was for audible uh it's called lucia by stephen a Mm. mckay and they gave me a trigger warning for that and i was really grateful and actually it wasn't as bad as i was preparing myself for so that that was nice i at least felt a bit looked after and I was and I was ready that's the main thing I was ready I mean one of these books I had to contact the publisher one of these books I had to contact the publisher and give them a heads up and said I'm in the process of reading it but I've got to say if this goes past my invisible line I I can't do it because nobody told me it was just called a thriller and the blurb was just the blurb you the the reader would get if you bought it in a bookshop I mean, it also brings up questions like women and children, the sexual assault of women and children is so often used in crime fiction as like character motivation oh, God, or yeah. plot devices. Yeah. And 
I mean, the it, naked young hard. woman. Last year, I did a series of books, thrillers, that were all called some variation of The Girl in the Water. Right. It's like The Girl in the Water, The Lady in the Lake, The Girl in the River. It was... and. <laughs> But every time the female who died in some sort of watery body was young mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and inevitably wound up naked. That's another right. theme. But I think that's probably American as well. I don't know. But it feels like maybe it's a British oh, thing. Oh, it is. Know. No, no. We have a whole series of inside circle woman author jokes about men loving <laughs> to write about these naked women yeah. corpses and yeah. we're like why why but also why why is she, why is she never 93 and like gangrenous i don't like know it's always bits. like i looked upon her dead naked body and i felt <laughs> sadness for what could have been for her white Look at how alabaster beautiful skin. her it's always alabaster skin every time so pale in death <laughs> And it's like, you guys have to stop. You have to, like, it's, when it's a woman author, I feel like she's processing. I always feel like a lot more patient with it when it's like a woman author processing things that have probably happened to her or processing the world she lives in. When it's a male author, I'm kind of like, it's it's time to stop with the naked alabaster bodies. This, This is one of my criteria for accepting thrillers that have that kind of content now a lot a lot of times the publisher i'm guessing has advised them to go by a b man as opposed to you know alison beverly man so that they're so that their author name is genderless but what that means is i have to well i'm crap at google so i basically get my husband to sit down and do the most searching google search he can to find out who has fucking written this because if it's a woman writing about a woman being gratuitously raped then like you i feel like okay probably processing yeah there's at least that ability to empathize and as you say we all have either been raped molested or know people who have and if you haven't, then your friends have not talked to you. Yeah. Um, but if I find out it's a guy, suddenly uh, context is everything. It feels yeah. different. It feels gratuitous and exploitative. It feels Game of Thrones. <laughs> Can I... I mean, there are so many moments. I actually read the Game of Thrones books um, like all of them yeah. because I have a problem where <laughs> if I start reading a book I have to finish it and if I start reading a series you have to finish have the whole to thing. finish it and they and are long like, oh god they're endless they're, I gave up on book four characters. oh my god is that the one that began with the first person uh, baby eating scene I, I forget I can't remember I can't it's remember the first chapter of one of those later ones where it was like I am a dire wolf eating a baby. It was nice, like, nice, and I was tasty. like, what? <laughs> Why do I have to finish this? <laughs> but yes, I'm never going to forget there was a sex scene between, uh, what's her face? Lannister lady. Cersei. Cersei. Yeah. And like a woman, there was like a lesbian sex scene. Yeah. Was it or I shouldn't say lesbian, no. like a bisexual sex yeah. scene. Yeah. And the woman's, um, the woman's, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to say pussy on my podcast, but I don't know what else to say because that's the word he used. But it was described as swampy. What? Oh. 
I was like, Swamping. no, 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 no. I, and I like. <laughs> boggy. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's not supposed to be swampy. <laughs> the film of scum. <laughs> I I'm gonna best it. I'm gonna best it with the pleasure quartet. Oh yes, I'm gonna best it. Series. I'm gonna best it. Now this, I, I'm pretty sure was supposed to be pretty sexy. Okay. The line was well, I don't know the whole line, but the description of her pussy was the cauldron of her cunt. <laughs> What? The cauldron of her cunt. Why? I mean, I'm that's just, hot. That's hot, right? I'm just picturing so I'm much like, stirring. Yeah. Well, I, for some reason, I always picture it empty. It's like this massive, cavernous, cold, echoey, <laughs> inverted, like, steel drum. You poke in, you can't find the sides. I don't know. I just feel like it's it's someone who has like they're in up to their elbows with a large stick and they're stirring. <laughs> That's all I can picture. And it's like no. Oh, good. Oh my good. god. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So yes, there was also a few on your resume called "Traded Innocence" and "A Ooh. Foolish Virgin." Oh my god, what were they? Oh, do you know what? Weirdly, A Foolish Virgin is not porn. Really? No, it's a period, like it's a really elegantly written period piece based around, I mean, we're talking like 1900s, based around a young girl who makes some really poor choices. Oh, <laughs> So okay. it's weirdly, and it was quite a good book, that, that one is not porn. Yeah. And you write as well, don't you? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so what my kind of things do you write? So the well, I historically wrote a lot of screenplays, mm-hmm. um, which had some terrible titles, so I changed them. Uh, but to fund a film and get it from the place of a script to a final thing that actually even gets released is so hard and takes so long um, that I just was like, oh, I can't be asked with this. So I, yeah, it's a nightmare. So I wrote a novel which involved one of my great puns, um, which was really rude and silly, called Nora the Explorer. Um, And it is about a perniciously shy young woman in set in a kind of satirical alternate version of London. I wrote this pre-Brexit where this fictional version of Boris Johnson was in charge... (laughs) And um, the country had become very isolated and cut themselves off from all the other countries. And the whole place had just... Whoa. I know, right? I know. I've written it as satire and then it just became true. So I always want to know, and this I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like, are there any favorite female characters you have that you want everyone to know about or books that you're like, everyone should read this? does it have to be thriller or can it be anything anything okay interesting i love marnie rome so uh, marnie rome is a detective in a series by sarah hillary that i narrate which i really love because she has lots of tattoos like me and she is really messed up 
which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a lot of guilt, which as a woman I identify with. Yeah. Um, but she's also just a badass and she's really good to her team and she doesn't hoggle the limelight and I just love her. She's brilliant. And one of the nice things about narrating whole series is that you just get to know those characters so well over the years. Yeah. Which, yeah, I really love that. Um, I am just off to the book launch of a book I narrated recently, which I wanted to bring up because she's the unlikable character that I really like, but it's not a thriller. It's a, I don't know, like a heartfelt kind of, it's a comedy, but it's also got some substance to it. And it's also about kind of living in these times in Britain, in London specifically. Anyway, it's called On the Up by Alice O'Keefe, who is a journalist. And I found it really interesting because I have read so many chick lit books where the main character is really unlikable, but not in the way you mean in this podcast, which is a positive. Not in that kind of, I do what I want, I don't care what you think. Not in the Marnie Rome way. In the way that there would be lines like, oh, the infamous one. I can't even remember the name of the book. It was so forgettable. But there was a line where the main character, so the one you're supposed to identify with, said to her friend... Oh my god, why can't I control my boyfriend like you control yours? Oh my god, stop it. So there's a lot of those and yeah. in Chicklet. And it amazes me that people obviously identify with these really selfish, vapid women. And they must do because the books get published and sell lots of copies. Right? So these so women are reading these and going, Oh my god, yeah, I totally agree. I want to control my boyfriend too. It's somehow escapist. It's psychologically escapist, but I can't quite put my finger on the you know what I mean? It's like yeah. in that it's yeah. So Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to work out if it's that horrible reality TV phenomenon yeah. of oh my uh-huh. god your life's so shit mine's great or yes, exactly. whether they're going oh my god yeah I feel really hard done by too um, but anyway in, in On the Up the character does some unlikable things that could take her into that place and as I was reading it the first time I was like oh come on come on come on save her yeah. save her and she pulls her back at the right moment and gives her enough insight to go, oh, that was a dick move. Um, <laughs> I'm not being yeah. a good person here. I'm going to have another think about how I could go about this. And I love that because that, to me, is writing a rounded female yeah. character, not making her a bitch. Yeah. Like, actually a bitch, not kind of, I'm going to do what I need to do to get the job done but actually just being a bitch that's not rounding out a female character that's not moving the cause forward well and it's kind of that thing where women get we get slotted into these archetypes and there's really no escaping it once you have a woman in that archetype like like the stuck up bitch the bad mother the mother who's so good the virgin the whore you know what I mean like we just we love to slot a female yeah. character into an archetype and just keep her there, you know, rather than letting women move through them just like our male characters do. It's like, well, he's a 
with male characters like oh he's he's not a good dad but he's a great politician and we can understand why he's not a good dad because it's hard to make that daily choice between your family and your career like we give them all kinds of nuance oh god yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah. i agree and I, partly when i wrote nora the explorer my objective was to create a female character who starts off as the angel in the house and then becomes the fabulous slutty girl but she's still a good person and she doesn't get punished for it so my my objective i had two objectives the first one was that she should end up having a lot of sex and not get punished for it but the other one was that her first sexual experience would have to be with herself and this never happens (laughs) in books you're so right female masturbation is treated like it's it's how do we treat it? I mean, it's I like, don't, don't write about it. Don't like show it irrelevant on Irrelevant or I don't know what it is. But Hypersexualized that's... for men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they, I, that yeah. was really important to me that the first kind of foray into sex for her was with herself. Um, is there anything you'd like to see us authors do more? Like you wish you'd see more of this or that? Hmm. Good question. I would like less really difficult accent direction like (laughs) he got into a taxi and the man spoke with a wonderful mixture of third generation pakistani and eight o'clock in the morning newcastle that's really hard for me (laughs) or another one that was oh he was 68 year old man and you could tell from his accent that he'd gone to Oxford or Cambridge, but you could also get a hint of his rough upbringing in the Glasgow streets. But can I tell you, British people are yeah. obsessed with accents. Why? Why? <laughs> we don't do that in America. We're not like, I can tell that from ages 8 through 13, he lived in Texas. And then from age 14 to 17, he lived in, you know, we don't do that. That's, that's interesting. I didn't know that. We are obsessed with that. I mean, obviously I yes. am because that's my job. Right. But... Um, yeah, accents are a big thing. It is. It like means something about who yeah. you are. Yes. So how would so in America, bearing in mind it's so massive and yeah. people I mean, there must be a lot of migration. I mean from one state to another. Yeah. If you well, LA's too difficult really, I suppose, because there's so many different people. Um but if you were to go with your accent to uh-huh. Mississippi would somebody mm-hmm. say to you, I bet you're from California? Maybe. Depends on what part of Mississippi. In a big yeah. city, they would just accept it. Yeah. In a small town, they might be like, where are you from? And I'd say California. They'd be like, oh, you know, you got all the gays out there or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's on fire. And it's full of gay people. And I'd be like, those things are true. Those things are both true. Do you, do you feel like you wish you'd see more of one thing or another in books like if you were saying please show more of this for women for sex positivity and body positivity like is there something that you wish you saw more of there yeah absolutely and I think it goes I think it's not just books but definitely books I think books tv film all of it obviously magazines but magazines are like some it's like a cartel you can't get in there right um But yeah, I, I feel that the idea that kind of a Judy Bloom novel written in the 70s is still a bit risque is depressing to me. Yeah. It shouldn't be that way. It should, I mean, I have my stepdaughter 
in tears nowadays because of the influence of Instagram and the way yeah. the way they are fed images of, of women's bodies. I'm trying really hard now to post pictures of myself, say, with no makeup and no filter and stuff. You like have that. been doing that. I'm always, yes. I'm always a great admirer of that. Because how else are they going to have anyone in their team? I mean, the pictures, I was at this party last night with a fashion journalist and she said, "It's." She said, I work in this industry. The amount of... Um, lens work filters makeup angling lighting that goes into creating these images is insane and our daughters are growing up with that and seeing that as normal so in some senses I think is even more pressure than when we were growing up I mean for me the thing that I found frustrating well I only realized this later on but I kind of lapped it up at the time was the the dynamic between men and women in books films tv that it was always kind of the woman always ended up in the yielding position right i don't mean literally um no but but also literally got her he wore her down yeah absolutely there's that dynamic yeah he's always visibly taller than her yeah bigger than her um I was watching on Amazon Prime last year, I think, when they had their kind of uh, pilots that got turned into seasons. Really brilliant um, show that, of course, didn't get a second season called Good Girls Revolt. And there's a scene in there, a sex scene, where it's set in the 60s around Nora Ephron and all those pioneering journalists. Um, And this woman just leaps on this guy's face and they go to town. And mm-hmm. what depressed me was that it it shocked me. I mean, I don't mean it shocked me as in, oh my God, that happens. I just mean it was so unusual to see. You don't see it. Even yeah. in this day and age that I kind of, I was shocked and went, oh my God, why is this shocking to see? It's ridiculous. So yeah, I, I, I would like to see or read of more unlikable female characters like Marnie Rome more um sex positive relationships where it's not just about the woman yielding it's not all about piv it's not all about Mm -hmm. penis and vagina so Mm -hmm. last year um it's it's about a kind of an egalitarian like an equality um where people come together i mean gender irrelevant as well people come together because they're attracted to each other and that can be any size ratio, any ethnic ratio, any gender ratio at all. I just feel like there was nothing like that. And even going back and watching old things like Molly's now watching Friends, that's become big with teens in Britain now. <laughs> even watching God, something so bad, like though, Friends. When you watch yeah, exactly. Yeah, you watch it and go, oh my God. Oh, fat Monica. Oh, with the fat suit. Oh, God. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, I've waffled a lot because I feel very passionately about it. No, I wanted to ask you to talk about that because I Mm. think you have really interesting thoughts on it. And you have an interesting, like very global perspective because you read so many of these. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And actually, I think thrillers are doing a lot for women. Women authored thrillers. Some men authored thrillers as well. But because I do so many women authored thrillers, obviously yeah. that's my specialty. But I think when we talk about the positive, unlikable female characters, and I think of all the amazing women who I get to narrate, and I think they're 
to fight in the corner. It's brilliant to have all these characters. I mean, all of Ruth's um, heroines have all been well-rounded and interesting and not remotely fey or vulnerable. And that's yeah, and what she I has interesting side of. characters too. She yeah. does a lot of interesting diversity in her side characters yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, I know. I think if I could ask, like, as because I'm not straight, I'm queer. I'm queer, so like, you I just say queer. I, I like that. I also, it's queer. <laughs> I'm queer. I um, uh, I feel like I wish I could see more on-page queer, like, not just sex scenes, but like queer scenes of like kissing or of normalcy behind like just touching each other like to a couple yeah. with their arms around each other yeah. just like yeah normalcy there and then like I wish I could see more like you have a queer friend you hug her and normalizing like I'm not worried that she's lusting after me oh, you know how like ridiculous that, is that that whole oh my god yeah but like that between men too you know I'd like to yeah, see that more yeah. like I'd like to see more like straight male characters touching queer male characters and that's fine well, like no one's afraid of is an no interesting homo. thing and i don't know if this is the same in the states but when you go into the library um there'll be a section for lgbtq plus novels no, or in our library on the spine there'll be a rainbow now i get the i think i get why they have done that but the unintended consequences are <laughs> that then kids who may be not having those feelings at that point yeah. won't read them. <laughs> I know. Which means they then don't get that side of life. Well, it says to me, like, it tells me that that experience is not universal and it's yes. only interesting to this one small group of people. So it's almost, it's as, as much as it is like, f- it's marking those books as for one person it's marking them also as not for another. And I feel like that's difficult because you do want to mark them as for someone. That's the antithesis I, of culture, isn't it? Like the whole point it, is to see other points of view. Now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like in a perfect world, because I have, a, a, I have a, a female, female thriller coming out. And I think in my perfect world, I would see it on both shelves. I'd put, I'd yeah. see it on LGBT shelf for those who want a shortcut to make sure they yeah. find their books. Yeah. And then I'd see it on the normal shelf for everybody too like i'd shelve it twice that's in a, a perfect good world. idea actually yeah that's a it's good hard idea. yeah i've been very scared of having that book come out because really? i'm like what are the straights gonna say <laughs> are they gonna be mean i've only gotten a couple of homophobic reviews so far oh my, oh my god you've had any <laughs> i had are a couple say like you have to get past the unusual love scenes otherwise it was a good book those types of things unusual wow. two different women said that they said there were some unusual wow. sex scenes but this is what i'm talking about is this is the this is that moment like, when the women when the woman hopped on the guy's face and i went oh that doesn't happen it shouldn't be that way that shouldn't be unusual well my friend lane said it's probably because women were enjoying themselves and they've never seen that before <laughs> I was like, and that's why I love you. <laughs> Speaking of unusual sex and love yeah, scenes, yeah. we are going to be, our next Unlikable Female Characters podcast episode is going to be an anniversary episode where we are going to um, highlight our favorite male-authored sex scenes because I've been collecting them for like a year. And there's so many that have just 
not only, you know, societal questions, psychological questions, but also anatomical questions <laughs> that make me wonder <laughs> what he thinks is happening here. I have a poem here called The Innocent Breasts. Oh, wow. Wow. And I'm just like, so many. There, there are so many... I have a line here that says her breasts swayed like ancient cracked punching bags. <laughs> I don't. I is this, like, sorry, that's in a that's not in a sex scene. That is in The Shining, by the way. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, there's so many breasts doing things. There's OK, there's nips, a lot of nips. Uh, oh, my God. Nips do some weird shit. I don't nips, know what they think nipples, nipples are. Pebble. I've had a lot of her nipples pebbled. Pebbled. <laughs> pebbled like, beneath the silk of her chemise. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding on men's part about, first of all, what boobs are. What are they? <laughs> like, do they, do they speak to me? Are they talking to me? They're not... <laughs> They're never talking to you. They don't have, they're not, are they sentient? They're not. So this is like a lot of confusion as I read more and more male authored sex scenes. And there are entire, like, there's an entire Reddit thread devoted to this. There's also a Twitter account called Men Write Women. Oh, nice. So you don't have to read all of the books because that would be very time consuming. And I mean, I don't hate myself Not pleasurable. Exactly. Like I have one here that says she has breasts that smile. Like, no, they don't. (laughs) Her smiling breasts. <laughs> wow. Oh, you guys, you guys, you guys. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, what we have um, somehow coerced Imogen into doing here <clears throat> is she's going to give a preview of one of the sex scenes that you can expect to enjoy in our next episode where we'll really unpack some of the apparently extreme misunderstandings that men have <laughs> about sex and what women are and our various sentient body parts. But uh, would you like to kick us off with one of the finalists for the 2018 worst sex scenes? I would actually love to. Right. Okay, perfect. The Hunt for Hands Clap by Major Victor Cornwall and Major Arthur Sinjin Trevelyan. Empty my tanks. I begged breathlessly as once more she began drawing me deep inside her pleasure cave. Her vaginal ratchet moved in concertina-like waves, slowly chugging my organ as a boa constrictor swallows its prey. Soon I was locked in, balls deep, ready to be ground down by the enameled pepper mill within her. I like it very much. What? What the fuck? (laughs) My favourite is her vaginal ratchet. I'm like... (laughs) I'm like googling... What is, what a, is ratchet? a ratchet? Oh, do you not know what a ratchet is? <gasps> but I, I'm like, I surely cannot be understanding this. Cr- <laughs> and then when I looked at it, I was like, oh no, it's oh, what yeah. I thought. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay, so what does he think is going to happen to his dick inside this woman? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he claims that he's having a good time. But... but <laughs> he, so. he is being ratcheted inside by a boa constrictor. <laughs> and then he's going to be... Pepper milled the shit out of. <laughs> that seems. This is. It's bad. This is a None bad time. of these. I mean, there's one mention of pleasure cave. The pleasure cave. Um, <laughs> but no other part of this makes me feel remotely sexy <laughs> or pleasurable. The next time we have sex with our partners, I think we need to say the words <laughs> pleasure cave. <laughs> I'm going to ratchet you, baby. <laughs> Ratcheting is so bad. <laughs> it's such a bad thing to do. And it doesn't uh, turn in circles. I, yeah, I mean, in a way, it should have one of those disclaimers that says, do not try this at home. Do not try do not to ratchet ratchet anybody. a penis. Just nothing. <laughs> and, like, there's nothing inside a woman that could do anything <laughs> resembling a pepper grinder. <laughs> it doesn't have any... Of that functionality. Well, speak for yourself one day. <laughs> and also, a boa constrictor. Yeah, I know. I mean... It doesn't... Okay, just going... Okay, going into going into a quick question. A boa constrictor first, like, strangles Yeah, it strangles. Prey, yeah. But then yeah. it eats it. Yeah. And I feel like I'm confused by, is this the the, the strangling part or the, the eating well, part? Well, exactly. You know what I'm actually, saying? Because when it said boa constrictor, I thought strangling. But you're right. For it sure. then says swallows. But sw so then does it? Yeah. Swallowing is quite a snake. kind of smooth thing, I imagine, a bit gulpy. But ratcheting is kind of. And there's this also like locking in thing. I was locked. Yeah, locked in, in balls deep. It balls doesn't deep, have man. like a, a any sort of like a, a mechanism for that. There's no locking. <laughs> it feels more like it belongs in a horror. If that was like a horror, I mean, I've never seen teeth, but the film about the girl's vagina right. that has teeth. The vagina teeth. Yes. I've never seen it, but I. This is what this brings to mind. And it it just brings up all kinds of questions about you know his personal lived experiences, and yeah. it, it can't be good. And the tiny chef inside her with the pepper mill. <laughs> okay, I mean, we are ready. Mm, delicious. I mean, you'd never put something into a pepper mill. I mean, I guess. <laughs> and it's enameled. It's really important that it's Why enameled. Why is it enameled? Because it's smooth? Yes. <laughs> smooth. <I think. laughs> but hard. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. It's, it's, uh, it's an experience in itself to read it. So thank you, well, Wendy. <laughs> and thank you for the dramatic reading that I think will make all of our listeners crash our cars. Um, yeah. So if you like things like that, you will enjoy our anniversary, our one year anniversary episode, Aww. wherein we will really start to unpack some of these. I have some really good ones waiting. I know that Lane and Kristen have some good ones waiting as well. And um, yeah, our plan is to read them to each other and just try yes. to understand what the hell men think is happening during sexual intercourse. I feel like there's an academic paper in this. <laughs> like really deconstructing the language. It, it, what do you think? Okay, well, yeah. 
So thank you, Imogen, for this wonderful episode. Thank um, you for having and me. And where can people find you to listen to more of your hilarity? Um, www.imogenchurch.com or used to work if you put in Imogen is weird. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.